the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Looking for strategies to help you protect your portfolio in these uncertain times? Visit RobBlack.com. RobBlack.com. Powered by EP Wealth. I'm Rob Black talking all things financial, money, investing, retirement, insurance, stock markets, 5% interest rates. Wow. 5% savings rates. That's wonderful if you're a safer. That's wonderful if you're a retiree who doesn't like risk. Kind of throw the curveball to the stock market, though. Here to talk about that and much, much more, including the weekend seminar on October 28th. That's this weekend, um, 10 to noon. It's a day event. That's a new one for us for the first time in a long time. The seven test of retirement readiness with CFP. Chad Burton you can learn more about it at chadburton.com or robblackshow.com. Sign up today. Uh, filling up fast. It's nice to see. Um, we always like connecting with the people. And Chad does a really nice job of it. Um, Chad, let's um, change the content of you know, some of our recent shows. Um, let's talk about measuring portfolio performance because it is the number one question that's instantly fired back when it comes time to hiring a financial planner, when it comes working with a mutual fund, when it comes to getting into the stock market. What's it cost and uh, what's your performance like? Yeah. And, and so what are you measuring the portfolio against? Right. Because if you're sitting there trying to measure a portfolio that's diversified with large cap, small cap, mid cap, international, emerging markets, all of it, um, it's it's, you know, the, the S&P 500 has become a very tech heavy index um, because to to talk about what the S&P 500 is. And I don't know. I don't think, you know, media talks about this enough. You hear the S&P, the Dow, the Nasdaq. Well, they all have the same stocks in it. It's just different weightings in most cases. So the S&P 500, to explain what it is, is the largest 500 companies in America. But it's a market cap weighted index. And over the last several years, most of the revenue has gone towards tech companies. So when you look at the S&P 500, if you invest money into it, 7.16% is going into Apple, 684 into Microsoft, 3.24, and 2.89 into NVIDIA. Uh, between the two Googles, you've got nearly 4% there. Yeah. Alphabet Inc. That, and Alphabet. That could yeah. be a name of a uh, podcast, Between the Two Googles. The Two Googles. Yeah. <laughs> I always have to look to remember which is which anyways. Um, and then you got Facebook and you're all the way down to Berkshire Hathaway before you get out of tech, right? 1.72%. And then the next one is Tesla at 1.69%. And so the weighting of the top holdings in the S&P 500 is now very similar to the NASDAQ. The NASDAQ just has more money into Apple and Microsoft, Amazon, and NVIDIA because it's very tech-oriented. Um, I mean, just 11 years ago, I think there was like two energy stocks in the top 10 of the S&P 500. And so most of the time when you're m- managing money, you're not going to go that heavy into just tech stocks or one asset class. Because even though you can get a couple of years of outperformance, then you can go through a major correction like 2022. And it looks pretty rough because even though when you look at the performance of, let's say, the NASDAQ this year, it's up 
still like 30% or so. But when you look at it from January of 2022 to today, it's still negative. So it's just a tech rebound. So a better approach to when you're measuring a portfolio and the return is to make sure that you're carving out every asset class and comparing it to that proper index. Or you can kind of look at the whole and, and compare the whole to like a, a Russell 3000, right? So there's different ways to measure it because the S&P 500, although it's been one of the best places to be over the last 10 years, most of the time you're going to look at periods of outperformance by small cap, by international, by emerging markets. Um, and so the idea when you're having a portfolio is that you're, you're typically paying mostly for the financial advice, the tax planning, the estate planning. If you're paying you know 1% on a portfolio and all you're getting is a pie chart, then that's not enough. You should have a full financial plan. You should be able to log in and see a cash flow analysis, a tax analysis, know where you're at in retirement, know all of those other things. Because the idea is that net of fees, we're keeping up with the markets in the good years. And hopefully with rebalancing and other strategies, we're outperforming in the bad years. That's kind of when uh, you, you throw a, a party, right? Is if the market's down a certain percentage and you're down much less than you've done your job because the stock market will take really good care of you over time. It's making sure that people don't make mistakes in the bad times or don't over aggressively invest because of FOMO, the fear of missing out in the good times. So maintaining the, the rebalancing strategy, the tax planning, the estate planning, keeping people from making mistakes. What accounts do I add to? What Am I maxing my 401k? Am I doing a mega Roth 401k? All of those things that come into play. Um, but I think that, Lately, Rob, it's just the S&P 500 is, uh, you know, 30 plus years that we've been doing this is the most interesting it's ever been in terms of a tech heavy index. And that'll have a reversion to the mean at some point. Um, and and I asked the question, will small cap, mid cap outperform? Because I think you would probably use the Callan periodical table of investment returns to say historically they do. Um, but I have to ask is, should we give up on small cap and mid cap at this point? Or do you think there's going to be a rally? You've got, so a lot of times small and mid cap companies, the reason why underperformance of the S&P 500 is um, because smaller and mid-sized companies tend to need to borrow money to continue to grow, to buy new equipment, to continue to grow that revenue. And interest rates are a lot higher. So that's affecting the bottom line, right? I mean, mm -hmm. And but once you go through a re recession and those asset classes tend to drop the most, that's the time where you really want to load up. So, for example, back during you know the COVID correction, that's one of the first places I looked is to add to some of the small cap value stuff that was out there, and it skyrocketed the next year um, after the bottom of the COVID correction. So when you when I look at small cap value, especially you're going to get a lower price to earnings ratio than the S and P 500 right now, but you've got to dig into what you're investing in because if that small cap value fund or ETF has a lot of financials or real estate, you need to be careful. Um, so we're, we're, we're kind of entering this more of a phase of more of a stock picking market versus an indexing market, right? And it ebbs and flows. I love Rob That's both true. actively managed funds and index funds. The time where I'll load up on index is when, if you have a, a big market correction and everything is cheap, that's when you just go into everything in the cheapest form possible. But when you're in an economy like this, where we have higher interest rates, we have inflationary issues um, and some geopolitical concerns, you some active management, that's where you typically it's going to pay off. And it doesn't necessarily pay off on the outperformance in the good years, 
it pays off on uh, keeping more of your money on, on the bad years. And look, I mean, the market is stock market is positive, you know, 74% of the time over the last or so with the S and P returning with dividends reinvested over a, with the corrections of, you know, 2000, all of that, it can be volatile, but it will treat you really well over time. The key is when you're younger, when you have those big pullbacks, that's when you try want to try to buy more. And when you're older and you're starting to draw on your portfolio, you need to make sure that you have safe money on the sidelines so that you have something to draw on when the market does go through those corrections so that you can leave the number of shares that you have intact to rally back up. Cause it always will. It's just a matter of, is it going to be six months or is it going to be three years? Okay. Let's talk a little bit more about this because I, I have a couple questions or follow-ups for you, but let's do it after the break. Right now, listen to the commercial. There's a big event coming up this weekend, October 28th. It's going to be the seven retirement readiness or seven test of retirement readiness with CFP Chad Burton. You can sign up at chadburton.com. October 28th, 10 to noon, Crown Plaza, Foster City. Think you're in good shape for retirement? Find out how you're really doing with the seven tests of retirement readiness. Join Rob Black and CFP Chad Burton of EP Wealth Advisors, Saturday, October 28th in San Mateo. They'll walk you through these seven tests to find out whether you are really ready for the retirement you want. Rob will provide timely commentary, and Chad will share specific strategies for taxes, income, long-term care, safe money, investing, life goals, and more. If you have at least $500,000 in investable assets and want to retire better, pass on your estate, and minimize taxes, this event is for you. Find out if you're on the right track with the seven tests of retirement readiness, Saturday, October 28th, 10 a.m. to noon at the Crown Plaza in San Mateo. Space is limited, so sign up today at robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com. Can you pass all seven tests? Sign up today online at robblackshow.com. So I wanted to continue the conversation with CFP Chad Burton. He is a an executive, a regional director with EP Wealth, which means he has a team of financial planners that he works with. He trains, um, gives them insight, gives them leadership, but he has clients himself. You can learn more about Chad Burton, chadburton.com. He is a CFP, a designation that I didn't want to pursue 25 years ago that I wish I had pursued because I was a registered investment advisor. I met CFP Chad Burton. I was like, done deal. Good partnership. Um, I could talk stocks. He could talk financial planning. It has been a good partnership on a lot of levels on shows like this. You can see why. Um, if you want to learn more, meet him this weekend. If you have investable assets over 500000 you haven't come to a lot of events recently, this is a good one. It's a Saturday event, kind of right during the holiday shopping season, which is a weird thing to say because it's still October. But um, after the event, you can holiday shop. Before the event, you can plan your retirement. It's the seven test of retirement readiness. It's a new event for him, so it's got a lot of new slides, a lot of things to digest. Um, solid, solid content. Two hours, October 28th, 10 to noon, Crown Plaza Hotel, Foster City. Um, about it during the commercials. Uh, learn a little bit more about it at chadburton.com or robblackshow.com. Chad, we're just talking last segment, and I think there's some follow-up questions here about measuring portfolio performance. And you got into an interesting topic of the 401k and how Rob's been, me, I've been kind of stagnant with it. I've done the tic-tac-toe board, large cap, mid cap, small cap, growth of each of each, of each style, value of each style, uh, some income in there, typically a REIT fund for me. 
and I haven't really changed that that much. And yet my portfolio is a little bit more, my stock portfolio is a little more dynamic than my 401k portfolio. Should I be measuring my 401k returns or should I just be accumulating assets for later in life where it becomes more important to refine what's in there versus kind of bulk investing now? Well, yeah, you should absolutely measure your 401k performance. But the the problem is, Rob, is that we've had one of the largest outperformance of large cap growth yeah. versus any other of the other asset classes like small cap, mid cap, international emerging markets. It's been the longest run since you know I've been in the business, that's for sure. Um, usually every five to 10 years, you kind of get a rotation of what outperforms. And so what people are tending to do that do not do what we do on an every single day basis, they're looking at their small cap performance of their fund. And rather than gauging that against a small cap index, Mm -hmm. um, even against just the Russell 2000, for example, which is, which is kind of a small and mid cap uh, blend. It's a little too heavy in tech, but there's, so there's a little better indexes out there. But they're they're comparing their international funds, their small cap funds against the S and P 500, and say, well, why would I want that? I'm just going to go all into the S and P 500, and that would have been a major issue last year in 2022, um, because if you would have had a diversified portfolio, even though this year you might be underperforming the S and P 500, if you look at it in perspective of January 2022 to forward, you're actually still outperforming. And what's interesting, the way math works, and in the event, I'm going to show an example, Rob, where you have two different portfolios. One averages 6% a year, straight line 6%. The other one averages slightly higher, but it looks more like the stock market, a little bit more volatile. And the portfolio with the lower average annual return actually has a higher ending value. (laughs) So that's hard fathom, but there's a difference between average annual returns and geometric mean, or what's your real results at the end of the day. And so the idea of investing in an asset allocation, a lot of people think, well, let me ask you, Rob, what do you think when you hear the term asset allocation, what does that mean? Do you think to the average person, the proper asset allocation? Stocks, bonds, real estate, maybe digital currencies and younger skews more towards the digital currencies and real estate and well, maybe not real estate. Uh, there was a period of time there of, you know, flip my house. But um, I, I think they look at it as they, they make favorites, Chad. In their head, mm-hmm. they, they favor. My dad made a lot of money on stocks. I'm going to do stocks. Um, my dad lost some money on stocks. I'm going to do digital assets. Is that a fair yep. answer? It is. And I think that they're doing that because they think the right asset allocation means I'm going to outperform every single that's year right. all the time. And that's actually not what it is. So the proper asset allocation is typically you're smoothing out returns over the long haul because you're going to end up with more money. So the proper asset allocation can sometimes make it look like you're underperforming in the good years, but then one of the bad years will come along where the stock market will drop, you know, 30, 40%, but you're only down 10 or 15. And that's when, so that is big time winning because you have so much less to come back, right? If you, if you drop 50%, you got to get a hundred percent rate of return the next year to break even. And so um, that's why people now is they're edging into retirement with fixed income more attractive than it's been since 2006. It's a great time to finally rebalance your portfolio and and take advantage of some of these higher bond rates because you know we're we're getting you know comments from JP Morgan and and, and well, I'm not gonna say Elon Musk because you know <laughs> you know but everybody's worried about these higher rates right causing that would, that would, some sort of a recession that, and what's that that conference call with Elon Musk and Tesla was weird. He was, he was I haven't listened crying. to it yet, oh, but I've seen yeah. some of the, the written comments. 
Okay. And you know, the whole losing is sometimes winning. Do you know what a binomial tree is? It's a, a formula that I learned in college. Like, and you talk about if you're down 50%, you got to get 100% returns. But mm-hmm. if you lose once, you almost have to win twice is the idea. It's flipping a coin. So managing your downside risk is just as important as managing your upside. And people don't see that. So I, please move on. But I, I just wanted to well, pound well, on that. It is and managing your downside risk, actually, you know, prior to the age of like 50, for example, isn't that big of a deal right. at all in the stock market. If the market happens to have a big time drop, that's when you want to train yourself to buy more when everybody else is freaking out and scared. When everybody else at the gym is talking about how great the stock market is, that's when you learn to, okay, maybe I should pull back a little bit. Where managing the risk of the downside comes extremely important is when you're drawing money out of the portfolio, because that's when the math is different. When you're drawing money out, if you draw it out at the wrong time after the market has declined, you have less shares in your account to recover. So that's why it's so important to have the proper safe money, certain amount of dividends and interest, and how you rebalance your portfolio so that you can make it through those occasional corrections. And managing the time that it takes to get through those corrections is just as important. Chad's got a lot of content. You can come see some of it this weekend. CFP Chad Burton, the seven tests of retirement readiness, uh, taxes, income, long-term care, safe money. You can sign up at chadburton.com. It's at the Crown Plaza in Foster City, Saturday, 10 to noon. Brought to you by EP Wealth. This is the Rob Black Show. On Monday this week, the 10-year treasury played with 4.99%. Almost got to five. That's a big round number. Bring in CFP Chad Burton. He's going to be at the event this weekend. More on that later. But Chad, big round numbers, whether it's Dow 30,000 or 10-year treasury at 5% or 4% or 2%. Do you care about big round numbers like media does? Um, It's kind of a roadmap. What's your thoughts on big round numbers? (laughs) Depends on what you're dealing with. It comes with portfolio. I like big round numbers. It's in a portfolio. Um, to me, it's a percentage of moves, right? Right. So when uh, last time we saw a really big move for, let's say, in a short period of time on the 10-year treasury was in 2013. You remember the taper tantrum where That's we had the short-term stock market pullback because the interest rates jumped pretty quickly, a large percentage after being very low for several years. And it kind of spooked the market. And honestly, the stock market has been fairly resistant against these higher rates this year. Um, but what you're seeing now is a ton of money sitting in money markets, earning higher rates, which has not necessarily been the best thing for banks because they're paying, they're having to pay a lot of rates to keep high rates to keep deposits on hand. Whereas there's not a lot of people borrowing money for mortgages. Um, but it is just, it's providing great opportunity for people in retirement to earn money finally on their cash and to be able to ladder a bond portfolio where, you know, you can put, let's say inside your IRA, um, you could put a million bucks in individual bonds and every 10 years you got a hundred or every year you got a hundred grand of bonds coming due and you can get starting yields of North of 6%, 6.2% or so on a laddered portfolio right now. And I have not seen that since before 2006. And so by doing individual bonds, Rob, you have that idea that if you invest in bonds right now, in your 401k or in mutual funds and rates go up further, you're going to see a decline in the net asset value of those bond funds. And if people 
liquidate and they sell those bond funds, it forces the manager to sell bonds at a loss. But if you individually own individual bonds and they drop in value on paper, you don't really care too much because you know that when that bond matures, you're going to get the face value of that bond back. And so the decline on paper doesn't matter as much. So, um, you know, if you've got larger portfolios where you've got more than 250 in your IRA and in, in bonds and the advisor isn't talking to you about individual bonds and individual bond ladders, you, you might need to get a second opinion. Let's change topics. What are some recent retirement decisions that you've seen people rush into? Well, the biggest one is retiring without a plan at all. I mean, I see that a couple times a year. Okay. Where, oh, you talk about big round numbers. There you go. You know, you they they created a big round number in their head where it's a million, two million, or whatever. I'm going to retire, and they base their entire life plan on a big round number instead of doing a detailed financial plan that includes taxes, inflation, and everything. So retiring with no plan, that's a rush decision. Now, sometimes that happens, Rob, where people get laid off later in life, and that's a tough one because especially in California, we've talked about this since 1999, you and I, how bad age discrimination is in California, especially at tech companies. Yep. It's awful. Right. Um, right. And so some, sometimes people are forced into retirement and they come in, they say, can I stay retired or do I need to go back to work? Um, and so we have to, you know, really carefully project that out and, and talk about how long is the money going to last? You need to work part-time for a while, maybe take a year off and then go back to work for three or four years. What is the plan? Um, another really a decision that was rushed quite a bit, um, especially in recent years with the jump in real estate prices and the jump in taxes is people moving states. So you're in California is very expensive to live in to while you're working and you're making a high income. But if you have a high net worth and you retire and you pull your money out properly, you're going to pay less probably in state taxes than you think, right? I, people that have high income, you know, their net taxes that I typically see is around six and a half percent. So a lot of people are like, I got to get out of California so I don't pay uh, state income tax. And then they go to another state, um, they buy a new home. Then they have to pay to furnish that home and then they pay to remodel the home because it's not quite what they want. And by the time they go all in, it was, they spend more on furnishing and remodeling that house and they would have paid over 10 years in state income taxes. And then they go to that state and they're like, ah, it's too hot here or it rains too much here or whatever. And they wish they would have gone back to California, but now they can't because they lost their property tax base. So if you're considering moving out of California and you're paying very little in property taxes, you may want to rent your home out before you lose it all together right. and go practice living in other States do long-term Airbnb rentals, or there's other travel companies out there that have 30 day, um, you know, options to stay different places to see, do you really like it? Will you re be able to recreate your social network? It's very important to have a social network in retirement and that feeling of connection. It's a huge part of retirement. So a lot of times if you move from where you live forever, especially if it's close to the people that you used to work with and have a social life with out of state. Yeah. You might be saving on taxes, but you could be miserable. So yeah. very careful consideration there. Um, and then also second home, Rob, that's a big one, right? Sure. Yep. So that's the thing is people get, um, I'm in retirement. I'm getting close. I really want that second home by the lake or in the mountains or whatever it may be. And again, you have that furnishing issue. You've got yeah. property taxes. If you bought a house in, 
Tahoe last year, you've got, you're fixing your roof, right. From all the snow and, and the, the cost of removing the snow from the driveway. And it's like, never, what's that? It never ends. It never ends. And then it also, life goes in phases, right. Where a lot of times people want to do that, especially in retirement, because they think their whole family is going to come visit them there all the time. And we're always going to get together at the lake house or at the, at the cabin and ski all season long. And then the grandkids get into high school and they don't want to do that anymore. They want to be with their friends during the winter break and spring break and summertime or, or whatever it may be. Um, and then they're in college and then their early career. So it doesn't get used as much as people think. And so there's so many times where people buy that second home and then we're doing the plan three or four years later where, Hey, should I just rent this out now? Or should I just go ahead and sell it? What's the tax analysis? And, or people say, well, I'll turn it into a short-term rental and use it once in a while. Well, as soon as you do that, you lose a lot of tax benefits <laughs> that can happen. Um, and so that's, that's something I think people really rush into is that, that idea of a second home, especially now out there with like travel services like Inspirato and, and Airbnb and VBRO and all these things you can go essentially, you know, live for at a place for a long period of time and then go back home. Is it a really good use of money, especially if you got to sell stock and pay a bunch of taxes to buy the second home? That's, that's a whole problem of itself, right? Then you're paying uncle Sam early by selling that stock to get into something that may not appreciate as much. Um, when you were just talking about moving, you were talking about retirees, but I could tell you my move two years ago, it is a financial disaster. Um, refurnishing the home, home improvements. You're yelling at the choir, but if we tell my wife that I'm going to get a divorce, that it's the worst financial decision I ever made to move, higher tax basis, everything was gone terribly wrong financially. But um, thanks for reminding me about that. <laughs> You're welcome. No problem. For me, I don't know. It's like, you know, I'm trying to travel a lot more now because I, you know, started in the business at 19, had a bunch of kids and never really did a lot of traveling. And I would love to have, you know, a place closer to a, a better mountain that's not as so busy because I snowboard all yep. winter long and then I'm on the water wake surfing all summer long. But I don't know where I want to end up. And so now I'm, I'm really toying with the idea of, uh, you know, finding a deal on an RV because I think so many people bought RVs yep. during COVID and I'm starting to see them start to come on the market very, very cheap as they can't afford anymore. You know, they can't afford the payments anymore. Um, maybe they lost their job or, or you ask any real estate agent, Rob, they're making about a third of what they were in the last several years. And I think we're going to see unemployment rates jump a, a lot. As soon as a lot of these real estate agents realize that, Oh, I, I'm not going to pay that fee to, to keep my shingle on an office anymore. Um, probably see some, some of that affect unemployment numbers, but, um, on top, yeah, of I just, it, you know, I, I need to see the U S and figure out where I might want to end up being, I want to do very careful process of, if I ever want a second home versus just travel different places. Realtors also have it tough right now because there's two lawsuits um, going after commissions being too high and the Department of Justice. It can get ugly for realtors fast is what I'm throwing down. But speaking of realtors and real estate, how about rental properties? How are they handled in retirement? Well, we're going to go back and I've done a whole show on this on my podcast before on stocks versus real estate. Mm -hmm. And I don't care what you say, stocks crush real estate over and over again. The, the way that you can win with real estate is the leverage, yep. right? And right now the leverage is way more expensive. So the thing is, is people look at the price appreciation only 
when it comes to real estate and you get certain, certain pockets. I mean, you know, in the Northwest and the, you know, Camas, Richfield, uh, this, the Southwest Washington region, I mean, that, that skyrocketed or, you know, Bend, Oregon, those types of places where everybody wanted to move. The thing is, is if you, if you take, you know, let's say $300,000 and put it into the stock market and $300,000 and leverage it into real estate. But every time you have to pay property taxes, every time you have to fix something in your home, you take that same exact amount of money and put it in the stock portfolio, the stock portfolio is going to win over time. Yeah. Over a 40 year period, it's a no brainer. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So, but that doesn't say, I mean, I, I own rental properties, office building, rental properties. So I still love it. But you have to be very careful, especially now that leveraging is a little bit higher. And a lot of times in retirement, if people were real estate heavy, um, you know, we got to talk about when do you start to liquidate? How do you analyze it? And what do you do to become more passive when it comes to the real estate? Big event coming up this weekend, October 28th, Saturday, 10 to noon, Foster City at the Crown Plaza, right on 101 and 92. Great location, 10 to noon. The seven test of retirement readiness with CFP Chad Burton. Check out his website. Sign up for the event today at chadburton.com. That's chadburton.com. This interview featured on the Rob Black Show is brought to you by EP Wealth. Learn more at robblack.com. Seven test of retirement readiness and happiness this weekend. Crown Plaza Hotel, Foster City, October 28th, 10 to noon. Show up early. We're going to show up early. Stay a little late. We're going to stay a little late. But during those two hours, 10 to noon, Chad's going to go over everything that you need to know. Are you ready or not? I think you'll walk out seeing areas that you're missing. Um, I think that's the nice way of saying it. Um, It's a great place to network. Uh, a lot of great listeners, but on top of it, lots of great content, seven test retirement readiness, um, long-term care. Here's how stupid I am sometimes. Not an issue for me, issue for my spouse. I'm going to outlive her. And you know who's been sicker in the last two years? Her, not me. Safe money. What is it? How to use it? Investing is going to be talked about. Life goals, health and wellness, income, taxes. Taxes, you can create so many efficiencies. Um, I tend to say that they could pay for the CFP uh, for five years of work in one year because people just aren't efficient with their taxes. Um, Chad, let's finish this topic of real estate because a lot of people in California love real estate. Um, let's talk a little bit about rental properties, maybe. Um, or do we want to go sure. into yeah, let's do rental properties? Go ahead. Yeah, let's do it because I think that. You know, oftentimes we're running financial plans with rental properties. And when one of the things that you need to do is you get close to retirement. If people are really heavy in real estate and they start to pull money out of it, you know, typically you're raising rents by what, two or 3% a year. But then if you go through periods of time where inflation runs a lot higher, when you look at a financial plan projection, you start to see the liquid assets decline over a certain period of time. And so you have to say, okay, is there a point at which I'm going to have to start? That's a real key situation to say, okay, oh my gosh, I'm 65, but my liquid assets start to really wind down when I'm 80, 85, and I may have to start liquidating properties. And you want to know that well ahead of time, because you might want to take advantage of a certain cycle that you're in because real estate cycles last every five to seven years. So, um, you know, property values have held up pretty good despite the higher rates. There's certain areas where they've really dropped a lot, like places in Arizona, which went up so much. Um, But you want to know that ahead of time. And so then, so that's one step is, is there a point where you're going to need liquidity out of the properties and knowing what to do about that? 
The next one is, and we take all of the information from a rental property off the schedule E, which every rental property they have, it goes on the schedule E. It's your, it's kind of your profit and loss statement, right? Here's your income minus your expenses and then depreciation, which helps your taxation of the real estate. So real estate can be pretty tax efficient if done correctly. But a lot of times what I see, Rob, is people have owned a property for years and years. They haven't really necessarily kept up on rate increases. And by the time we say, here's the value of the property, and we take a look at the net income, here's my income after my property manager, my taxes, my maintenance costs, I'm often seeing net income of around 2 to 3% in the Bay Area. Yep. You can get 5% in a bank account right now, totally liquid. And try to, talk and so you start, and try to tell them they're wrong. Well, yeah, and then you try to say, okay, well, do you think the price appreciation is going to be then north of 7%? Right. You know, what is that price appreciation or do you think it's going to continue to struggle and fall over the next couple of years um, as people move out of bigger cities and things like that? So you, we help do that full analysis. And then you said a lot of times, though, Rob, people are coming to us at 65, 70. And they're like, I don't want to be the manager anymore. Even if they have a property manager, it's kind of sometimes a pain in the butt. Right. You've got to communicate with that property manager. Yep. I've got to resurface a deck. Um, I got to put in a new kitchen floor or whatever. And you got to get the approvals for that and fund that. And so sometimes they're saying we just totally went out. So the steps are, as you do an analysis of selling the property, what is the cost basis? You're going to pay in California state and federal income taxes on the gain. But also you have to realize that when you have a rental property, all of that depreciation that you took over the last many years gets recaptured at a 25% federal rate. Um, and so you might have some suspended losses and things like that, that help you out, but you have to do an analysis. What does it look like if I sell it and then reinvest the money? Um, how does that look? Uh, are you maybe willing to move into that property? So let's say you've had a rental property for years and Maybe you say, you know what? I'm going to fix it up. I'm going to move in for two years um, plus some time. There's some specific rules how long you've had it as a rental property. So maybe it's a lo little longer than that, maybe five years. And then when you sell it, you can at least claim that primary homeowner's exclusion, which is if you're married, finally, jointly, that's a half a million dollars of gain you could exclude. So that's maybe when you sell it. Or the other options that are very passive is there's Delaware statutory trust where you can 1031 exchange into uh, some sort of a property. Maybe it's a senior living facility. Maybe it's a um, uh, an Amazon building. It could be student housing where you 1031 exchange into that property and you just kick back and, and off the equity that you have, you could just kick back and have, you know, 5% or more of income. And a lot of times you could actually enjoy increased depreciation and more tax efficient income, Rob, because the new property that you're going into might be leveraged, but then you're totally passive. You have no issues in terms of talking with anybody about rent increases and property managers and things like that. And so that would be a way where you know, I've got a property, I've fully depreciated it. Now it's mostly taxable income. It's not growing as much as I want. The net income is not great. So you 1031 exchange it, you can get sometimes more leverage, more depreciation, better income, much more passive. And then for those that really need income or really need liquidity, but they don't want to pay all the taxes right away, yeah. you can combine that DST, the 1031 exchange into a building that is eventually going to be buy, bought by a REIT, a real estate investment trust which is a fully diversified investment where you own a whole bunch of different properties inside of it. 
it's called a 721 exchange. So you go from your rental property to a specific built one and then into a diversified REIT. And once it's in the REIT, you can liquidate in, you know, in a, whenever you want, let's say, um, you can pull out 20% a year for five years and spread out the tax consequence. And then finally, I will say, as I know I'm kind of running long on this one, but uh, those that have real charitable intent that want to leave money to charity at the end of their life can really benefit from a charitable remainder trust where you could gift that property into a trust, get a big tax deduction, sell it without any current income taxes, get in a diversified portfolio and start pulling, you know, six, five or 6% out for life. Um, and so that's, that's a good estate planning option too. Well, you did it. You tied up the show nice and neatly. You can find Chad at chadburton.com. Big event, October 28th, Saturday, 10 to noon. Sign up at chadburton.com. Think you're in good shape for retirement? Find out how you're really doing with the seven tests of retirement readiness. Join Rob Black and CFP Chad Burton of EP Wealth Advisors, Saturday, October 28th in San Mateo. They'll walk you through these seven tests to find out whether you are really ready for the retirement you want. Rob will provide timely commentary, and Chad will share specific strategies for taxes, income, long-term care, safe money, investing, life goals, and more. If you have at least 500000 in investable assets and want to retire better, pass on your estate, and minimize taxes, this event is for you. Find out if you're on the right track with the seven tests of retirement readiness, Saturday, October 28th, 10 a.m. to noon at the Crown Plaza in San Mateo. Space is limited, so sign up today at robblackshow.com. That's robblackshow.com. Can you pass all seven tests? Sign up today online at robblackshow.com. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.